And good to see you all here today. See, did we say Happy New Year? Yeah, we did Happy New Year last year, last week, didn't we? We did it last year, too, as a matter of fact. <laughs> At any rate. Well, um, today, we're going to kind of get back into, do you guys remember actually what we were doing there before uh, I got sick and before Christmas and all of that stuff? We were actually engaged in a study that was, uh, I don't know how many, it was several sessions, and we thought... I thought maybe we'd go back to it today. Does anybody remember we actually had a study we were working on? The did you? You did your homework. All right. Fair enough. It was very good. I loved it. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. And it's interesting, last week, bringing that up, actually last week we did talk about Esther. We talked about what prompted the beginning of last week, um, how, I don't know, this thought was, are you here for such a time as this? And in breaking into a new year, and I, and I look out there, I look at you folks, and, you know, God hasn't made any mistakes. You're here because he's wanting to use you now. And so that's what, I was kind of engaged in that whole sort of thing. But it's bigger than that. It's, if it's just a matter of just hanging around, being here, then we've missed the real issue. And that's what we talked about last week. In a long, and the, the, the real level is of commitment. If you're not committed to Jesus Christ, just being here <laughs> isn't enough. And uh, one of the things, actually, through the course of this week, I visited with some folks that had listened to the broadcast and, or the, the podcast, and they said, well, Larry, wait a minute, commitment, uh, isn't there got to, shouldn't, shouldn't you have prayer in there? I said, oh, that's part of it. We didn't have a chance to really un- unpack that totally, but a commitment to Jesus Christ requires the fact that we're praying all the time. <laughs> And so it would seem so pertinent today for us to come back to the thing that we started a number of weeks ago. And there's a big gap. There's a big parenthesis, uh, probably about a couple, couple months, probably. Yeah. So with that, let's go back to Luke chapter 11. And uh, let's, let's, let's hopefully pull some things together. Uh, I'll warn you in advance because there's no sense. I'm, not a, I'm, not, I'm pretty transparent. Uh, I left about half my notes at home. So it'll be interesting how this all plays out. So. That's my disclaimer today. But here we go. Luke chapter 11, and we'll start in verse 1. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It came to pass that as he, that's Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now those four verses are the ones we've been working on. And we started in that. And by the way, I think today would be helpful. Let's go back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. This would be the corollary passage that Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, these are two, different, these are two separate events. I want you to be careful of that. Um, the Sermon on the Mount was when Jesus basically gave his inaugural address. He's speaking to the nation, saying who he is. He blew their minds. He, ta- he talked about things that the rabbis and the scribes, all of those people, religious leaders. I, it was a totally opposite message. It would have left them in the dust, if you will, and the people were blown away. Their eyes were just, what in the world is going on? Well, let's go to chapter 6 
of Matthew. This would have been part of kind of the middle section of the Sermon on the Mount. But this fits very nicely and actually maybe gives just a little more robustness to this, this, to what I'm going to call the disciples' prayer. One of them on that occasion, we just read in Luke chapter 11, isn't, isn't, I wonder Jesus said, you know, here, so here, here's Jesus, he was just praying. He was just praying like he always, and he prayed a lot. He prayed a lot. I'm just saying is that the Son of God had to pray a lot, we probably need to pray a whole lot more than we do. And, and no guilt intended. It's just a matter, isn't it? But the thing is about prayer, the more you pray, the more you want to pray, because the more you want to pray more than that, because you're getting closer to the God that really saved you, loves you, and cares everything about you. Okay? But here's Jesus Christ. And he finishes. We're not told what he was praying about, but he prayed differently, didn't he, than most of the religious leaders. And that disciple, it must have been quite a moment. And he said, Rabbi, he probably said, Rabbi, I don't know. I mean, I would have said, Jesus, could, could, could you teach us to pray? No, absolutely not. <laughs> no, it would have been a moment, wouldn't it have been? It would have been one of those things that Jesus would have been waiting. Oh, finally, finally, they see the difference and they want to know the difference, right? It would have been one of those kinds of moments. And it, you saw it didn't take him long to fill that box. Well, let's look at this box that he actually opened up many months before. We'll start in verse 7. Uh, Chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. That's kind of cool, isn't it? (laughs) You know that your Father, and again, what a way to start. I can come back and we'll just kind of refresh ourselves in this whole thing. But what a way to start. The source of everything we need is our Father, not just our God. Careful. Our Father. This is an inside the family kind of a meeting, a prayer, and unfolding. Isn't that great? He's not just a God. He's our Father. Wow, that's great. Let's keep going. Where did I lose you? Oh, the fact that the Father knows what we need before we need it. Verse 9, after this manner, in other words, this way, therefore pray you, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The sacredness, the holiness, the only one that could possibly be is that our Father. Verse 10, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I remember we were dealing through that, the fact that that segment, if you will. Uh, How many things are not getting done in heaven that God wants done in heaven? (laughs) It's absolutely 100%. And if there's a higher percent, it would be that. And, And basically to say that, just as it is in heaven, everything getting done that God wants, may it be so, may your kingdom come on earth. May we be part of it. We should be focused on the kingdom coming and us fulfilling all of the kingdom's requests because everything is getting done in heaven that God wants. It should be the same sense of our focus. That's really what should drive us in our life's journey. Verse 11, uh, we talked of that. This was our last session. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, it, uh, did you, did you, in case you missed the first daily, he said it again. <laughs> uh, this day, our daily bread. Uh, you know, there, there's a sense of that, of a dependence, of thankfulness. And, and I, I can't mention that day. There are so many people across this globe. Uh, that are not financially blessed. I don't even know if that's financially blessed is the right term. But to think, there's not one problem in this room that you have only enough food for your next meal. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. Uh, somewhere you've got, you, you've got a couple other meals in front of you that you can pull together. We've got a pantry. We've got a cellar over there that... 
I'm going to leave it. I'm just going to leave it. Okay. There, there's stuff there. And, and, and you know what? God wants us to daily ask for not and, and our daily needs. It's not only our food, all of the things that happen to you, all of those emotions that, that take you, all of those things. What a way to start. Give us this day our daily bread. Doesn't that put you in the right mood, in the right place? I mean, you're, you're, you're dependent in a great way because, again, who are you praying to? This is, I, I can't get enough of this. Our Father. Father. Abba, Father. Okay, so let's dive in now. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then it goes on and finishes the prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for that is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We'll be talking about that in weeks to come. But watch verses 14 and 15. Have these two verses ever bugged you? Let's read them. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Have those two verses bothered you? Uh, I can read. I can read. You, you guys are really not going to say anything. <laughs> it should. <laughs> You'd want to make sure that you understand what's being said here, right? I mean, that, that's a lot of... Now, by the way, of all of the things in, in the disciples' prayer, I like to call it that because they came to Jesus. Now, that we're, again, we're using a passage that Jesus said, you should pray like this. But where we're at in Luke chapter 11, a disciple came to him, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. It's really not the Lord's prayer as much as it is the disciples' prayer. It's our prayer. We, we're being taught how to pray, how to structurally come to our Father. There's only one of these petitions, there's only one part of this that there is a prerequisite. And it's this one we're going to talk about today. Forgiveness is man's number one need. Did you know that? You, you can go through the list and you can just look at all of it. And you know what? Our number one need is forgiveness. If you're not forgiving your sins, nothing else matters, quite honestly. You know, and there are a lot of people walking the earth today walking the city, city, the, the town of Sheridan or Twin Bridges or Butte or wherever it might be, any place in this globe that don't even know that they need their sins forgiven. That's a word that's not used anymore across this. If, when's the last time you saw sin mentioned or spoken? It doesn't happen. Why? Because it demands something. And the last thing we want to do is cause some sense of ill-ridden guilt. Because that's what sin does. Sin brings guilt. Now, the part that we want to talk about today is is the fact of when we are guilty because of our sin, we need to be forgiven, okay? Just as there's something that happens to us when we refuse to forgive somebody, there's another guilt that wears on us and just actually harbors or actually forms a sense of bitterness within our heart, which talks about in Ephesians. Remember, he says, don't let, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Remember that? It's in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, by the way, there is a righteous anger. There is a time to be upset. And what is that time? When we take the same position as God. What makes God mad should make us mad. I mean, it really should. There's a lot of things right now today that Christians aren't mad about that God is. We're mad about stuff that God doesn't really care about. We need to get that together too, don't we? But here's the deal. If that, if that uh, anger continues and continues... Then it says in the next verse that literally, don't let Satan have a beachhead. That's my word. Don't let him have a position. 
And that's what happens when anger is moved into a sense of, quote-unquote, bitterness, because then you have given Satan a landhold or a beachfront, literally operate from the very inner portion of your life. And he's got it covered. That's what we're talking about when we choose not to forgive someone. And that's the one prerequisite. I mean, it's pretty heavy, isn't it? That's really heavy. If you want to be forgiven by God, you need to forgive someone else. That other person. And by the way, uh, it's amazing how that person will come into your mind. Uh, in the last several months, we've been under um, some duress from the outside, extenuating circumstances. I'll just leave that there. But there were many people that were involved in that that I could have taken a very serious grudge to. And some of them I did. There was, there was one guy in particular. He was so easy not to talk to. You ever had one of those guys? Oh, oh, sigh, right? But, and I don't think he even realized it. But for me, I had to be very careful. In fact, my heart, and by, it's a heart thing. It's not just this, it's not a facade. It's a heart thing. You've got to get to the inner part of me. You can say, you know what? Lord God, I'm coming to you as a most needy, sinful creature. I need more forgiveness than anybody else. And see, if you start there, isn't it easy then to let love go to the next level? We're going to talk about things today that literally there's reasons for us to be forgivers. Now, one of the things I think we need to start out with verses 14 and 15, that's some pretty heavy stuff. In other words, God's not not going to forgive you if you don't forgive others. Well, there's two types of forgiveness. One of which I don't know that any one of you can forgive sins. That's what, made, that's what made everybody so mad about Jesus. He said, go thy way, your sins are forgiven. Oh, that'll mess with a scribe or a Pharisee or a rabbi, right? That'll get them whooped up because that would mean what? And this is what I want from you. What does that mean? It means that you're God. That's what he was claiming to be, okay? So we want to be careful to differentiate between there's two types of forgiveness. One is what we would call judicial, judicial. And that's the one that only God can forgive. Only he can forgive sins. He's the only one that can take an unredeemed, unregenerate sinner, and he can literally, through mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid for it. Again, you can't forgive something that's not paid for. God can't just, oh, you know what, I really like you. Well, why don't you, don't worry about it. We'll deal with it later. I'll mark on the curve. You guys have any of those classes? I had a physics class. We were so dumb, the teacher had a mark on a curve. You know, I don't know, we're probably F students, but, you know, the top grade was an A. That's fantastic. It helps everybody then, doesn't it? it is, what if God marked on the curve? And it wouldn't be right because he's wholly righteous and pure, 100%. There's no flaws. You can't fall short. Any. It's got to be taken care of. Now, only that judicial forgiveness is only God's to give. We can't give that. We, it, it doesn't even take a lot of thought, does it? But once that's been given, guess what? All of your sins past, present, or future, have been dealt with. Because I, I, I always like this verse. Um, let's go to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. This will be a little bit off t- topic of what we're talking about, but still I think it's so important. Uh, verse 30 of chapter 8 of Romans. Now this process, it's not a process, it's an act. Um, and it's called justification. When God redeems you, when he's purchased you through the blood of Jesus Christ, he then declares you to be justified. You are not guilty. All of your sins, past, present, or future, every single one of them no longer mars your eternal future. 
And that should be met by hallelujah and amens across the world. I mean, it really should. He's the only one that can do that. I want to be very careful. No one can do that except God. But watch this. It's not just for the, for the next today or tomorrow. In verse 30 of chapter 8 of Romans, I want you to, let's just follow along. We get to justify it and watch. I'm going, to say, I'm going to say something that's different than what's written just to get your attention. Here we go. Chapter 30. No, you won't find Romans 30. You'll find 830, though. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And most of whom he justified, them he also glorified. Did you see what I said? There's a lot of people that are, that are going along that path saying that uh, you can lose your salvation. Well, then it was never a salvation that was worth having. Because let's read it the way it says it. And I'm just going to cut in the middle. Whom he called them, them he also justified. And whom, that's all of whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, there's a gap there, no question about it. That's a process. That's called sanctification. That's literally where we get our feet dirty. You remember where we're at? It's amazing how God ties all of this stuff. We were in John chapter 13 last week. Okay. And that process called sanctification, that's the part where we're kind of three steps forward, two steps back, and there's sin here, and there's world here, and there's somebody that really did us wrong here. How did you deal with that? And it's life. It's real living. But if you have God's redemptive grace by which you're saved, by faith, not of yourselves, it's grace by grace alone, by Jesus alone, then you are justified. And mark it, if you're justified, you will be glorified. I said that really loud just so you would sort of get that. <laughs> okay, But in between those two, where we're at, every single one of you here, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, if you've trusted and received the grace that God has freely given because Christ paid the debt... If you've accepted that by faith, then you have been justified. And if you've been justified, that passage tells us, you will be glorified, which means you will be in heaven one day. In the meantime, your feet get dirty. Why did I say that? Because the best place to, for us to see the second type of forgiveness, this is the one we're talking about here. This is the one, again, this is the disciples' prayer for a daily basis, correct? You don't get saved every single day. We're not talking about eternity value in the sense of grace every single day. No, we're talking about another one, what I would call either a fellowship forgiveness or a parental forgiveness. You can pick your one. But it's, it's that moment by moment walking through getting dirty. It's that simple. When's the last time you went and everything went perfect from God's perspective? It doesn't happen that way. Why? Because Satan is out. He's loose. He has the world system that literally... I'm going to tell you, it's not going well, <laughs> okay? But we're in it. We're in it. And we're not told to be isolated from it. We're to be insulated from it. But you still get dirty feet. Now, what's interesting is last week, uh, those of you who were here last week, we found in John chapter 13 that Jesus was actually making this point very evident. Let's go there for a moment. It's not quite, I think that's part of the outline that I didn't bring with me. So let's just see how it works. John chapter 13 and let's kind of rehearse a little bit of what we talked about last week, but see how Jesus dealt with what would have been a very hard principle for the disciples to get. Let's start in John chapter 13, verse 1. 
Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. So this whole passage we're about to dive into again is based on Christ's love for his disciples. Now, let's take a step back. What is behind forgiveness? I'm talking just the the whole concept of forgiveness. What's behind that? What's what's really the overarching theme that if if you will not have forgiveness, I'm not talking about forgiving someone else or being, just the whole principle of forgiveness. What has to be behind that? What is the mountain of foundation that that literally rests on? Love. Yeah. You have no love, you will not have forgiveness. Now that's interesting. Um, We're not going to go there right now, but remember 1 John? Uh, Maybe we'll just go there after a while. Uh, If the love of the Father, then he will love his brother, right? What are we talking about? The very same thing. Love is the overarching principle of which Jesus is going to be using here in John chapter 13. Now, there is one. uh, Let's keep going. Verse 2, the supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and went to God. He riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now, if you read the other gospel accounts, uh, it's not like... There was was busyness in the room. There was a lot going on. Uh, One of the things, there was a conversation going on on who would be the greatest in the kingdom to come. Obviously, they knew Jesus was going to rule and reign, and, you know, he's coming, and he's a king, and... Uh, you know, uh, I'll be better than you. I know I'm going to get a better position in the cabinet of the king than you will. This is what's going on. This is all of this. Isn't it amazing? What's behind all of that? Pride, right? And pride infiltrates every aspect of our world today. It's crazy, isn't it? And all of a sudden, with all of this stuff going on, now you're in the upper room, and Jesus really wants him to get this. He wants his love to literally extrude and to be everywhere in that room. And how does he break that? How does he get to that? Well, he does it through love. One of the things you find in love is the fact of service. It says that in John. All right, Mark chapter, or just write this verse down. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Go to that after, sometime this afternoon. Jesus didn't come, but really, literally, to be a servant. He came to serve. He came to get accomplished what needed to be done. So all of a sudden, he breaks out, puts a towel on, gets some water in the basin, and I think it starts to get quieter and quieter in the room. I don't know why, but I just think that. For what, what's Jesus doing? And then he does the unthinkable. He lines up and he kneels down and he starts washing feet. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to tell you, I believe it was just completely death silent. Here's the rabbi, the teacher, the Messiah, the Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. And he has stooped. Again, we talked about this last week. Um, there was no one there because they were in a different place. If you came into a house, there would have been a servant that would have accomplished those duties. Because guess what? When you come and you're not wearing shoes or boots like we have, and you're out walking in the streets, guess what happens? Your feet get dirty. Isn't that what happens to us as we're living in a sinful world? We get dirty. That's what we need to forgive someone else because we're dirty, right? That's just what happens. But this is so important for us to see. Here's Simon Peter just watching this. You know, and you know Simon. He's our, he's our overzealous mouth guy. I mean, he can just say stuff just randomly. Where did you come up with that? 
Okay, well, he must not have been the first one to be washed, but watch what he says. Let's keep moving. We'll keep moving in our, in our narrative and watch it unfold. After he poureth water into a basin, verse 5, we'll say it again, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I mean, in other words, he really felt this was out of order. And it is. That's, that's what's important here. It's not right for Jesus to wash their feet. It should have been someone else. Uh, the disciples should have drew straws, and, the, and the, the loser should have been the one to wash feet. Not Jesus. <laughs> Watch what Jesus says. He said, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter said, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Why is he saying that? Because he doesn't think that he's worthy to have his feet washed. Jesus answered, Ooh, watch this. If I wash you not, thou hast no part with me. So, of course, he responds to the whole other side, Mr. Zealous Peter, and he says, Well, uh, wash everything. Uh, I want everything. I mean, I want the whole nine yards. Not my feet, but my hands, my head, you name it. I want to be bathed by Jesus then. Right? Let's not stop at the feet. Let's get after it. And then Jesus said this. He that washed, I'm sorry, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet but is clean every way, and you are clean, but not all of you. He's speaking to Judas Iscariot. The rest in that room had been washed. They had been washed. They had trusted Christ. Now, the fulfillment and all of that understanding they didn't necessarily have, but there was only one of that group that never trusted at all, and that was Judas Iscariot. Now, what's the point? They didn't need to be completely washed. They didn't, and, and putting this in, in to where we're at today, or that second kind of forgiveness. Was he washing Judas' feet at that time, or when the... <laughs> Knowing Jesus, he made him the place of honor. I'll bet he did wash his feet. And Judas, being the hypocrite that he was, would have received it. Right? And maybe when he was saying it, that's who he was washing. Well, he came to, he was right there with Simon. And Simon, you're not going to wash my feet. Oh, well, then wash all of me. Give me a bath. But here's the point. You don't need salvation every day. You need to have your dirty feet washed. Walking in the world, walking in this system, all of the interrelationships, all of that stuff that comes and goes. And at the end of the day, you know what? As you step through that door and you visit with your heavenly father, as you're focusing on Jesus Christ, you need to have your feet washed. What is that called? It's forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we forgive the others. In fact, watch what Jesus says next. This is, a, this is a message about forgiveness. Let's see, I've got to see where I'm going to go. Here, look at verse, four, verse 13. There's a couple verses about Judas. I don't want to lose our, our context. Verse 13, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. I'm not denying that. That's exactly who I am. I am your Lord. I am your master. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, and I've forgiven you, you also ought to wash one another's feet, are forgiven each other. That's literally what this whole passage is about. He is showing them his love that should be exampled by him for the rest of that team, if you will. Isn't that exactly the message? That's that daily getting your feet washed. Now, I will tell you this. No forgiveness, no joy, really muddy feet. <laughs> Isn't that true? 
Now you show me. Now again, the forgiveness side has two has two sides of it. One of the sides we, we is easiest for us to get it in context. We think of First John chapter one verse nine. Let's go there for a moment. And this has again not to do with salvation. This was not uh, a, ma- a letter to the world. It was literally John speaking. Let's look at verse one and two. Um, actually, it's not going to do exactly what I wanted there. Well, that's okay. Let's read the first uh, uh, four verses. First John chapter 1, then we'll move to verse 9. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. You see the we, and he's, he's including his, the letter readers. For the life was manifested, we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested, or shown unto us, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Okay? Now, did you see there's two terms in there primarily talk about the intimate walk that we have in this world. Now, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, and I know most of you have, then literally your glorification, being with the Father forever and ever, is yours. But as you walk through this world, fellowship can be separated by what? By sin. There's no question about that. And you know, it's interesting. Satan has a great plan. It's, I mean, it's a really terrible plan, but it's, he's very effective with it. And, and one is, go ahead and do that. Nobody will know about it. Nobody will know about it. You'll be fine. Just do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. You want it. You want it. Get it. Go get it. Get it. You can hear that bugger, can't you? He's just in the back of your mind. I don't know if he's on the right side or the left side, but he's really loud at times. That's called temptation. He's just, you can hear him, can't you? In fact, you can almost, I see you smiling. It's almost like that, isn't it? And then when you do it, oh, you loser. You loser. You call yourself a Christian. What a joke. Jesus hates you now because you sinned. And you can hear that voice, can't you? You can hear it. You know what happens? It's almost like then you want that, you're forced into isolation. Guess what happens to your fellowship? Guess what happens to your intimacy with the Father? Guess what happens to your joy? Guess what happens to your peace? Guess what happens to your useful, usefulness? All of those things evaporate. And do you know why? It's because of a relationship with how we deal with sin. And look at this. Now, he's talking about fellowship with us. That, that's his words, John. It was first free, plus with the Father and with his Son that we may have joy, right? He's not very many verses in, and he makes sure that we understand that we have to confess those daily sins that can separate us from a sweet fellowship, a koinonia from our Father and with ourselves. It's another thing, isn't it? It seems like the further that one gets ensnared in sin, the more isolated they become from their Christian community and from their Father, which is the worst thing that could ever happen. Let's, let's keep reading. Verse, we, I left you at verse 4. Turn down to verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Again, I believe he's writing to believers, to Christians. It's not trying to evangelize those that don't know Christ. He's talking to us, believers. He said, if you say we don't have any sin, then you're deceiving yourselves. The truth is not in us. Well, watch verse 9. This is the one we wanted to get to. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that's talking about that day-to-day, the dirt that gathers around us, that, the dirty feet. You need to be washed, and you need to be washed daily. I, I want to mark that carefully. Don't let anything go to tomorrow that should have been dealt with today. 
because it gets worse. <laughs> it gets deeper and harder. And you know what? You'll find yourself there's actually a wall that grows thicker between you and your father. Sometimes you felt when it's like your prayers are hitting the ceiling. You know what? If we haven't forgiven someone that comes to our mind, again, I, who knows? But I'm, it's amazing how God can bring that name to me. He brought several names to my over the last couple of months that I needed to deal with. I, heart, and you got to get with it in the heart. You got to be real. You got to be serious. And as soon as you do that, guess what? Those walls break down because there's freedom. Joy returns. All of that allowing him, I'm talking Jesus Christ, the Father, to be able to have a relationship. See, the fellowship is sweet. And when that's sweet, guess what? Our life is full of joy and peace. It's true. Look at David. Can you imagine that? I mean, here's a man of God. He's, he, it's said of him in, in, the, in the New Testament, here's a man that was after God's own heart. <laughs> wow. Wouldn't you like to have that on your tombstone? Nothing else. Don't even give a date or anything. It doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. In fact, there was a tombstone they found somewhere. I don't know. It was in, it was in England somewhere. There was one word on it. There was no name. There was no date. There was no family. There was nothing. They had one word. And if this isn't the absolute, it's the bottom line. I said there's nothing more important than for us to be forgiven. On that tombstone in that cemetery, that one word says it all. Forgiven. <laughs> isn't that it? That brings, now on insurance, when we're talking about the sense of a judicial forgiveness, that brings, at the moment that you do that, I, and I believe it's the moment, there's a, there's a refreshing thing to that. There's a lack of, the guilt flies away. You're at peace. You're at joy. You are one with your creator. You are guaranteed of a future, not because of you, but because of the grace that was given to you through your faith that Jesus Christ paid for. Now, the same thing can happen on a, what we would call this parental, this relationship forgiveness. When we let sin separate us, that, the dirty feet, which Jesus was really getting at to those disciples, as he knelt down to wash their feet, he said, would you wash one another's feet? Would you forgive one another? Isn't that very key? Absolutely, it's key. If you harbor those sentiments of bitterness or unforgiveness, you know what? The same guilt will run over you. And you can't get through it until you deal with it. What a message. Isn't this, and and this, this is Jesus saying to that disciple, we're coming back to the context. He says, you know what? I'm so glad you asked. Let's, I'll have you pray this way. Our Father, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You're so amazingly holy. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Everything happens in heaven the right way. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those that trespass against us. Isn't that powerful? And you know what it is? It's a daily basis. That's why I, I think I'm going to go. I talked about it earlier. Let's go to this verse. I want you to see these verses in your Bible because this is something that's extremely important. Before we go there even, where are you at? You're in 1 John? Um, I want to go, while we're in 1 John... Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. Um, come on, I can't find that. Maybe I won't find that one. Sorry, I will uh, see if I come across that one. 
I thought it was chapter 2, maybe it's 3. Oh, this is, I'm just, I just, this verse just popped out at me. Um, you remember what Jesus said? No, we haven't been there. We're going to go there in a moment. As he was giving that Sermon on the Mount, he said, You've heard from the rabbis that thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. I say, you shouldn't even hate. That would have been a step. What? <laughs> Watch this. First John chapter 3, verse 15. We're going to just take this verse and we need to keep going. Verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Whoa, that's a little powerful. Hereby perceive we the love of God. This is how we know that God loves us. Because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Those are some pretty heavy verses. Now, let's go back to... How come I can't remember where I was going to just take you? I didn't say that either, so you guys could know. Um, oh, okay. Let's do... Here. Just found it. Did you leave First John? Stay there. Stay right there. <coughs> Stay right there. First John chapter 2. I'll get back there. First John chapter 2 and verse 6. I actually found it. First John chapter 2 and verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Isn't that true? That's absolutely the deal. And that was verse 6 of chapter 1, which we've just talked. John's two major issues are fellowship with the Father and with one another and the fact that we have joy. It requires that we have fellowship. Let's go back now to, uh, I want to take you to Ephesians. Let's go back to Ephesians for a moment. Ephesians chapter 4. These are some verses I mentioned, but I want you to see them in your Bible. I want these to, to be marked by you. Not necessarily marked with a pencil, whatever you want to do. But at the same time, there's something about your Bible, your, God's Word in your, in your possession. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll look at verse 26 first. Be ye angry and sin not. In other words, you can be angry and not sin. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, don't give it extended time. I'm on myself. Um, something will hit me and I'll, you know, you kind of, that's, that's wrong. That's just flat wrong. But the longer that I ponder on that, the longer I let it stew, guess what? I'll move outside of what it was intended to potentially do, and pretty soon I've got something that I'm harboring. There's a bitterness that starts to take place. I've got a room for that. I try to keep it empty. I should actually get rid of the room. Board it shut, right? But let's watch. He goes on to say in Ephesians, he says, neither give place to the devil. That's exactly what happened. By the way, verse 26 ends with a colon. In other words, because of that, if we extend our time of letting bitterness take place, we actually let him have a place in our lives. But go down to verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. There's the model. It isn't like you had to just perform. That would be pretty tough, wouldn't it? If you didn't have any example. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, there's this verse. It's in, it's in Hezekiah chapter 4. No, there's not Hezekiah. But you can, just, you can hear this verse coming out. And you need to love others. Period. Why? I can't do that. You're right. You can't do that. That verse doesn't say it that way, does it? 
It says, love one another, forgive one another, even as God hath loved you and Christ died for your sins. He's the model. He's the example. If that wasn't there, what? Right? You just like shrug your shoulders. I can't get this done. Well, of course you can't. But because Jesus Christ accomplished it, he sets it up. There's something that forgiven. Let's go. Now, I want to talk about the side point now of uh, forgiving others, the, the reasons to forgive one another. Um, by the way, this is not for, this is not easy. Um, this isn't, uh, you know, if you've seen those puzzles where there's like, you know, if it's a couple hundred pieces, or, but by the way, puzzles for me, we, we don't get together very much, okay? Because there's usually about six pieces gone, and those are the ones I want because they fit, right? Ah, I can't do this. You know, I, I'm just not a puzzle. But if you noticed, uh, the more pieces, the more challenging. And what's the words they tend to use? More difficult? What was that? <laughs> this is a frustrating puzzle. Well, they'll probably, but Bob's right. That's actually what happens when you open the box and you dump it out and you say, right? That's what happens to me. It's just, Oh, and you know what? If it's over a thousand piece, which to me is undoable, that's what it should say. Undoable. <laughs> but so in other words, that word is not in my notes. That is literally where we are in the sense of forgiving others is undoable if we are not believers, if we are not Christians. You, you, it's impossible. That's not how the world works. It's not set up that way. There's nothing in the world that literally, and by it is the highest virtue of man to be able to forgive someone else because it's the most like listen it's the most like god of anything else that we do isn't that crazy it's the highest virtue of man not because of us it's because of what we just said because god forgave us he allows us the opportunity to just be one small speck of what he's done and you think of what he forgave us Think of what little, sometimes it's just a little thing. I, I know in my own life, it's just like some stupid little thing will just get under my hide and I got to get it out of there. I got to get it out of there. Now, I want to get so many thoughts going on. Uh, we were in John chapter 13 and we roamed, zoomed out of there a little bit early because I want you to see how he ends John chapter 13. And let's go to the end of that chapter, verse 33 through 35. This is really, really, this is literally, he's capsulating, he's summarizing what he's just done, what he's illustrated. Verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, in other words, I'm going to disappear. I'm going to be leaving you and you can't come. That must have blown their minds, right? In fact, I'm not sure they even got it because he was right there. Where's he going to go? But he said this, because of that, this is really the overarching thing I want to leave with you. So let's read it. Verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. <laughs> That's why when we as Christians are able to offer forgiveness to others, we look the most like Jesus 
at any time in our lives. This is not easy. This is hard. There's times it's really, really hard. But if we don't, again, what happens? We talked about no forgiveness, no joy, no peace, no usefulness. It equals muddy feet. It's like going from coming in one day, not washing your... What do you think that's like on a week-long basis? Well, just let me put it another way. Let me, let me build this illustration. No shower for a month. Oh, you're not fun to be around. <laughs> the, the family, even the family, <laughs> dad, 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 dad. It's been so nice. Why don't you check outside? <laughs> right? You know what happens to us when we keep our muddy feet, when we don't wash them daily, when we're not forgiving others so that we can be... Now, that's key. I said it the right way. If we're not forgiving others so that we can be forgiven of our Father, because if you're not forgiving others, you won't be forgiven by your Father for those daily things. And all of a sudden, you're walking from day after day after day. And now you don't even have muddy feet. You're muddy up to your knees. And you get used to it. You know what happens? You're out of fellowship. You're out of touch. Your usefulness is just diminished. Isn't that exactly right? And behind all of that, this would, that's what Jesus was so clear about saying. How they're going to know that you are my disciples is by your love. Because without my love, you would never be able to love one another, let alone forgive them. Do you see how powerful this is? That's what Jesus is just trying to say. Reasons to forgive one another. Well, first of all, as we've just noted, it's the character of a Christian. That's what Christians should be known for, literally. Jesus said in chapter 5 of Matthew, if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, verse 43, this is what was said, and he breaks that apart. Matthew chapter 5, turn there, verse 43 and 44. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Oh, by the way, that sells pretty well today, right? Isn't that what, on the news? Actually, it's even worse than that. We're, we're even more divisive than that. I mean, you don't even pick an enemy. You make an enemy, and then you hate him or her, right? That's what we're doing today. The divisiveness is at an unchecked level today in the United States of America. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, we make enemies, and then we hate them. This here is just saying, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. It's, it's just... It's just that simple. But look what goes on next. Jesus says this. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you, and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, just think about it as for God. You know what? I can't even describe for you what sin does to my God, to our Father. I, I can't even describe it. He's so holy. He's so righteous. He's so over the top. But to think of what it must have been like for Adam and Eve. See, that, that couple there, they knew both sides of the equation. One day, they were walking with God in the garden. Ah, I try to just, I try to just think about that. I mean, it was so okay. They were so pure. They were so untainted. You can call it whatever you want, but they were sinless. And for God to be able to just fellowship with them in the afternoon, what would have that been like? I wonder if they asked God, are you going to bring the tea today? <laughs> there was, did you know, now what, what was there? This is, this is really key. I don't know how I got here, but it's right here. It's so big and so white. This is what sin does on our everyday life. You know what? They had intimacy that was unmatched. 
they met in the afternoon to just walk and fellowship through the garden. And then you know what happened. Chapter 3 of Genesis. And here comes the sly Sammy serpent. Satan serpent. And they fall into sin. What happened immediately? Fellowship was broken. Just like that. And they knew it. What did he do? This is exactly what happens when we sin. If you're a Christian, you hide. God says, Adam, where are you? Uh, I'm as if God didn't know. That's even, the, that's even worse, right? <laughs> hey, uh, you guys are late. Let's take a walk. Uh, well, actually, God, uh, we, we're, we were naked. Oh, well, who told you that? I don't think they had mirrors back then. See, I'm pretty sure God did not make a mirror. I could, I could go on, but I won't. I'll stop. Who told you that? Well, now that you bring her up, and you notice the blame game began. And Adam blamed, think of this carefully now. He blamed Eve, but who did he really blame? God, because he made Eve. God, it's your fault. Really, basically, it's the woman you gave. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the woman, but you gave me the woman, God. It's your fault. All of this is your fault. <laughs> Does this sound like America? It sounds like the world, doesn't it? From that day forward, and we've been on that page. But I, I want to mark, I, I, you see, I can just get down so many branches. The intimacy and the fellowship was broken. Can you imagine the next day for Adam and Eve? They couldn't ever fellowship with God like they had. And mankind has never fellowshiped with God like that. But they knew it. They knew what happened. They were on both sides of it. Oh, my goodness sakes. Can you imagine that? I can't. I can't get there. But here comes Jesus. And he was God personified. That's really what... What's the right word I'm looking for? Emmanuel, God with us. Um, uh, the incarnation. Literally, he's God in human form. He was the clearest way for God to describe himself to people. And here he is, showing himself to the disciples how to love one another, which we can see today. Isn't it vivid? It's just vivid. It's the character of a Christian. That's a reason to forgive one another. Uh, we've already looked at 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Uh, but think with me. We're not going to go there. But um, if there was ever someone that suffered unjustly, and, and you all have had moments, I guarantee you, maybe hours, days, weeks, years even, of which you have suffered unjustly. Someone's done something to you that you had nothing that you deserved to have that done. And some of them are very, I could, I could list some things here in the last several months. They're real. And they are real. They're real for you. But the most massive unjust suffering ever, and it will ever be, is what mankind did to Jesus Christ. He did not sin. He did nothing wrong, and he's hanging on a cross. And he said, get this, he said, Father, forgive them. That humbles me. Just that statement from, um, I don't even know that I could even compre- I, I don't. If I would be hanging on a cross, I can't imagine the excruciating pain 
you know, and you've probably studied some of that as well. But for him to take that to those that had just put him there, that's love at an unbelievable exponential level. That's our Savior. That's our model. That's our example. And that's the second reason to forgive others is the fact that he, Jesus, is a perfect example. I've talked about it before. It's, uh, the, it's the highest virtue of man. There's, there's nothing that makes us... A, and I, there's no higher level for us to really accentuate who God is and what he's done for us than for us to forgive others. And again, I, I can't say this loud enough, but if you think we've been done wrong, look at God. <laughs> look at what's been done to him. You know, and that what Jesus said, we didn't talk very much about that verse. He says, uh, my father reigns on the just and the unjust. He does, doesn't he? He blesses those that curse him. There's so many people today that hate him. We talked about, remember, that was two or three weeks ago. There's three, basically three responses from the world towards Jesus Christ, just the same as it was when he was born. There was the Herod approach, which was he's hated. There's people that hate God today, and a lot of it has to do with mostly something that happened in their childhood potentially. Uh, God did not save someone from a deathbed. Somehow God is the, he's a murderer, he's hated. And that's a, that's a very shallow picture of who our father is. When he took his son and literally put him on Calvary's tree at the hands of, of in, uh, an innocent God at the hands of men to pay for our, our sins. See, that's missed in those people's lives, but they hate him. And by the way, just like um, what's it, Herod, he wanted nothing to do with the king because he was all about himself. Someone that hates God is really all about themselves because that means God is going to have to replace them on the throne. That's where Adam and Eve did. They replaced God on the throne that day when she said, I want to know. I want to be in charge. That's been there ever since. The second way is indifference. Our world, the United States, is probably more full of indifferent people towards God than anything else today. They could care less. Just, who cares? I don't care. It doesn't matter. Why should it matter? And then thirdly, adoration. Those wise men came 900 miles, whether they came on camels or however they came, to come 900 miles to find the king that was born, king of the Jews. Which one are we? It'll be someone that is forgiving others if we're adoring him because we're making him the pattern. Another thing, and we, again, these are things we're kind of going through. Um, either A, we're not forgiven ourselves, or B, where we're not forgiving others, you know what happens to our conscience? It's guilty. It's guilty. Now think of David. Mark this down. We won't take time today, but uh, Psalm chapter 51. Read that, that psalm. And basically for 18 months of David's life, after he had sinned with adultery with Bathsheba, he killed her husband, Uriah. I mean, it was just deceit at every level. And this, again, is the man, David, who was a man after God's own heart. You read chapter 51. We'll maybe even go to verse 12 particularly. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. For 18 months, he never wrote a song. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Unforgiveness will take a song out of your heart. It'll leave. David's a prime example. Here's the guy that wrote, I just think this guy would sit down for supper and, and his wife probably brought stew and he'd, he'd have a psalm about stew. Right? He's just that kind of, he could just write stuff. And think of that. For 18 months, he's silent. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. Why? There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no, there's no fellowship. 
Did you see the vindictiveness, though, of, it, of the man? Here comes Nathan, right? How would you like to be Nathan, the prophet? Uh, God says, I got a job for you. Buddy, this won't be too bad. I want you to go to the king, and I want you to tell him he's a dirty, rotten sinner. <laughs> no, he doesn't say it quite that way. But he says, I want you to show David that he's guilty, as if he didn't know. So he builds this little story, right? And there's one poor guy, and he's got one single ewe lamb. But there was a guy preparing a feast, and he went and stole that little ewe lamb from the guy. That's all he's got. And what did David say? He needs to pay. He needs to, right? Isn't that how it happens? We get angry and when we're out of sorts, when we're out of fellowship with God. It's so easy. Our family can see it. They can feel it. We, can, we know it. How do we break it? Well, that's what Jesus is saying. Love the disciples. Love each other. Isn't it? You know, it's sometimes, it, it's like this puzzle. It's, it's really quite simple, but it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Let's keep going. Oh, I want to show you one other thing. As Satan used all of those instances, and it was amazing, each sin led to another. That's another thing about sin, isn't it? If you think you can handle sin, you can't handle sin. David, first of all, has the affair with Bathsheba. Ooh, this is a problem. What are we going to do with Uriah? Uh, what are we going to do? Do you see it? What, where is his mind? It's just focused on him again, of course. So he says, well, hmm, see, how can we do this? I want to look innocent. Uh, Joab, Joab, Joab. Let's see. He's got to be, a, oh, he's, in the, he's really dedicated. Let's run him to the front of the line. Joab, when, when, when we're in the heat of the battle, you take Uriah and you take him to the front and then pull back. And poor Uriah was... Right? Fellowship? There was no fellowship. Satan had a hold in David's life, didn't he? And he'll get a hold on our lives if we do that. I want, I want to take you to a passage um, not looked at very often, but uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, the Corinthians, that was a carnal church. They, they lived in a really tough town. I mean, you talk about worldly. I mean, they probably had to wash their feet six times a day. Okay. It was just that kind of place. It was just, oh, it was mortal combat between good and evil. Okay. Well, in the first Corinthians, Paul had written a letter. And there was a man that was sitting within the church, within the body. And he told them to take measures against this individual so that he would repent and be restored. Okay. Now watch, as usual, something happens on the other side. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm not sure if I should start in verse 5 or, yeah, let's just do that. It's going to end in verse 11. That's where we really want to be. But Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. What he's talking about now is this offender that had sinned, and, and Paul had written the first letter in regards. Verse 5, chapter 2, Second Corinthians. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. In other words, this, you did what I asked, and it was pretty severe. So that contrarywise, verse 7, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. 
For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Now watch. Otherwise, or lest, Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Did you see that? Not only is unforgiveness a sin, when we choose not to forgive, Satan has an advantage. That is powerful. And that's why I'm convinced that Jesus, in teaching us to pray, said that a prerequisite to being forgiven is the fact that we forgive others. Now, the other thing which uh, we haven't talked about today, and I'll let you write down uh, Hebrews chapter 12. You're going to have to do some homework on your own. Hebrews chapter 12. Um, If we forgive, it delivers us from chastening. Because God's going to let you go around so long with dirty feet. Uh, because he's, we're a son. We're a daughter. We're, we're, we're his family. And you know what fathers do? Good fathers that love us, and it's the D word, discipline us. Isn't it true? It's absolutely true. And when we forgive others, we literally deliver ourselves from chastening. Because an unforgiving spirit equals sin equals chastening. And the most overridden one, which we've talked about enormously all day today, is if you want to be forgiven, if you're asking, as it is in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if you want to be forgiven and you have chosen not to forgive someone that God has, has placed in you, don't, don't worry about trying to make a list of people you have to forgive. No, 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 no. God will take care of that. The Holy Spirit will mark that. It will come into your mind, and it will be one at a time, and you'll have to deal with that. And if you choose not to forgive them, this is, this is harsh, but this is what the word says. You will not be forgiven. You will walk through this life unforgiven, out of fellowship, out of peace, out of joy, out of energy, out of usefulness. And it doesn't happen out once. It's just, again, there's this reminder. And Jesus was pretty clear in what he said. That's powerful, isn't it? It's very important. Now, again, I didn't say it was easy. It was like that puzzle that's on the shelf and it's, undoable. That's the one I want. That's what this is all about, really. It is. It's really, really hard. But the, the key and the focus is we have an example. Thank heavens that God didn't say, this is what I want you to do, and no, I'm not going to show you an example. You just have to suck it up and do it. You couldn't do it then, could you? It would totally be impossible. But it becomes doable when we are focused. Remember, remember last week we were in John chapter 21 with, uh, with Peter again. Once again, Peter. And after the three times, he asked Peter, he said, do you love me? And then he described how he's going to die. That literally, you know, you did whatever you wanted, but at the end of your life, you will be taken somewhere where you are totally out of sorts. And it described through a, a term, well, I don't want to get into it, but that he would be crucified. And then he said to him, just two words. This is the same two words he's saying to us today, loud and clear. Follow me. Isn't that true? Just follow Jesus. And it was literally a split second. And he's like, and I I believe Jesus did. I I believe Jesus, follow me. And Peter, just like we, it's so easy to get distracted. I do it sometimes in just reading my Bible. Isn't it amazing? Your mind is, you know, you're reading, but you're not reading. You're reading, but you're not getting. And I said, oh, stop. I've got to read that again. Peter said, how about him? What's going to happen to him? (laughs) No, 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 Peter. Follow me, Right? How easy it is to get distracted. 
No one else has that problem here? <laughs> focus, 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 right? And it's really key. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to close right here. Oh, we're going to close with uh, First Peter. Don't let me forget that, First Peter. Um, I think this is why Jesus has reiterated this and had very definitive terms of how to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts while we are forgiving our debtors. That's daily. See, keep it fresh. Keep it fresh. Because the fresher it gets, the cleaner it is. And the, it's so easy to wash your feet if you're just dust on them. You know how hard it is to wash your feet if you're caked up to your knees? It's harder, isn't it? But let me go to this. Let's go to, I think this is where we'll close. Oh, there's a whole other thing I was going to do, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to have you write this down, though. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 18, and it's the perfect example of someone that's been forgiven that does not forgive. Chapter 18, it starts in like verse 21, and Jesus uses it as an example of one that had 10,000 talents owed to the king. And 10,000 talents, literally, that, Rome, that, that Greek word is the highest number that, in, in, in the sense of a word to describe a number of any that was, ever, that was even there. It's translated into 10,000 talents, but 10,000 talents, one talent would be 16 years of wages. And there's 10,000. So it's, it's almost, in, and that was the focus. It was an innumerable number of which he had nothing to pay it back with. And he pleaded his case. He had nothing. By the way, this was even a picture of grace, complete mercy. And he said, oh, I, you know, I, yeah, I got nothing. And, and, and the king forgave him. If you notice, I went right into chapter 18 of Matthew. <laughs> anyway, and, and, then, and then this man, just a short time after, meets someone that owes him about three months of wages. And he loses it. He said, pay me, I'm going to throw you in prison. Now, that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, I'm going to throw you in prison so you can't work so that you can pay me. That seems so dumb, right? <laughs> but you know, And then you know what? The other servants, those other followers saw what happened, and they reported back to the king. And then he literally was turned over to the torturers, to the lictors, that first man. Not that, he, not that he was in eternal damnation, but can you imagine how painful the rest of his life would have been? Now, that's someone that received forgiveness but chose not to forgive. That is the ultimate story told by Jesus Christ about getting that message across. Matthew chapter 18, starting verse 21. But let's close our session today. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. This whole epistle is about suffering. We could, we could really dive in here, but I want to just come to one verse as he's kind of concluding. And as you think about it, probably some of the, most, the worst moments or times that you've had are those times when you've suffered unjustly, when you've truly suffered. And Paul, Peter's talked about, you know, whether you suffer for what is, you know, you didn't do any, what you did right, you know, or, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. If you're suffering for something you did wrong, in other words, you did something wrong, and you're, and what, what, what is that about? But when you're literally suffering unjustly, that's the height of God working and making you mature. Now think about that for, I mean, it's really hard. This isn't for beginners. You know, become a Christian so that you can suffer. That message doesn't sell. <laughs> right? But you know what? God uses unjust suffering to grow him a 
awesome set of Christians. Let's watch how Peter re- opens this up or finishes this up. Now, the whole set, in fact, if you were going to read, if there was a, a, a book I'd like you to read this week, I'm giving you a lot of homework. First Peter is one about suffering. And it's coming from the master, shall we say, Peter himself, who took him his life to get it figured out. But here we go. Let's close it up. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Watch. But the God of all grace, that's giving us what we don't deserve, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. That Christ would be the Messiah name, the anointed one, Christos, Christ Jesus. After you have suffered a while... Make you perfect. Now, that would be mature. Establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. How did you get from from being called to eternal glory and to making you mature and strong and steadfast? Suffering. (laughs) If it was only easy, correct? But Jesus is our example. That's again, follow me. That's what he's saying. He's, He's preaching that from a high level follow me how do you stay how do you follow him what is this whole thing about what is this session we're in praying making it daily making it moment by moment i had a great time with god this morning it was about well what time was it Two thirty, three o'clock in the morning it was awesome i'm just sitting there sitting no i was not sitting i was lying in bed and just thinking about stuff thinking about where we were going to be today and just literally pouring my heart, God, where do you want us to be today? This is so, this is so cool that, that I can talk to you. I mean, it was just having one of those, those moments of where, oh, my goodness, how blessed we are to have a God that literally is eternal, infinite, and unbelievably everything that we could possibly imagine. We can't even get there. And that God loves to talk to us. That just shapes us to want to follow him. The more we talk to him, the more we follow him. The more we follow him, the easier it is to forgive and be forgiven. All right. Questions or comments? How many want to take that forgiving course? It's, uh, it's advanced. Oh, that's the word I've been looking for all day. You know, if you have those puzzles, you have those really difficult things. Advanced. This is advanced forgiveness. Because <laughs> it's not easy. But, mark it, it's essential. You know, there's people that have come to worship, I'm not talking here, that have come to worship God and have left forgiving someone out. God won't accept that. You can find it. In fact, in Matthew chapter 18, there's another, that sounds like a chapter you should read as well. But it talks about if you've come to give your gift and you've offended your brother. This is, it's a God thing too, isn't it? The Holy Spirit knows how to just, you didn't deal with that one, did you? Oh yeah, well, block that out, right? He says then, Leave your gift and go back and take care of that. Then come back. That's for us. Do you see how important this is? It's super important for us and for everyone else. You know, that's the one thing about just Christians. When they do what is, I'm going to say hard, the world is extremely taken back by that. It blows them away. That's love that they can't even comprehend. And you know what? When they can't comprehend it, they want to know more about it. When we as Christians look more like the world, they say, what's the difference? We don't need any of that. It's when we, and how did, how did Jesus say it in uh, John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35? You will basically know that you are my disciples when you love one another. 
Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care, for your concern, for your affection, for your truth. Father, our, our nation today is perishing from a famine of truth. May the word of God go forth. May there be a desire to seek after you. Father, thank you for your words. And Jesus laid it out. There was no pandering. There was no beating around the bush. As he taught that disciple and others surrounding him on how to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Prerequisite to being forgiven was to forgive others. And Father, we're not capable of doing that. But he addressed the family. It was our Father. The whole prayer was our Father. It wasn't written to the world. It was written to those that were his. Father, you'll have to teach us. You'll have to show us. You will have to help us, strengthen us as we follow Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives because we know when it's sometimes the most difficult, you're the closest. As we reach out to you, you are right there. Father, moment by moment, day by day, that's what's so important about as we've been learning in this prayer as Jesus unfolded it, how dependent we need to be on you. We thank you for what you'll do this week in the coming months and years. This group of people are here for such a time as this. May you give them the steadfastness to be committed to being a Christ follower to being committed to praying for a nation that has lost their way. Being committed to doing it your way. Father, just as Esther rose to that occasion, if I die, I die. As she was entering into the king's presence without being invited, her future looked very tenuous. But Father, when we're in your hands, we can do nothing but succeed because we are with you regardless of what happens. Take us and use us, Father. May we be careful to restore, or to, what I should say is to maintain joy and peace that is ours in fellowship when we're current on confessing our sins. Take us and use us as you see fit for your glory and our blessing. In Christ's name, amen.